We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice-cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day podcast. Hey everybody, welcome into episode 641 of the Packaday podcast and also a very special edition of the Packer Report podcast. My name is Andy Herman and joining me today is the publisher of Packer Report. He's the host of the Packer Report podcast. He's also one of our very own here at the Packaday podcast. Joining me is, as we speak, birthday boy Ross Uglum. Ross, congratulations on a fantastic draft weekend over at Packer Reports. I feel like this is the WWF Mega Powers coming together. I'll let you choose who is who, but thanks so much for joining me. Oh, thanks, man. No, um, you guys uh, did such a great job. The entire Packer Report team did did such a great job. Obviously, um, you know, juggling the live videos that I was doing and the. And, <laughs> yeah three-week-old baby, and, you know, I'm, I just, I couldn't be prouder of what uh, we were able to do, and, and um, you know, obviously the coronavirus sucked, and, and, and at the same time kind of helped us, because it would have been tough to jumble all of that uh, while being in Green Bay, and, and having uh, everything that they did on a conference call, I think probably helped out our squad. Yeah, I, I definitely think so, and I, I would have been out in Vegas, uh, you know, doing a ton of stuff. So that would, yeah, that would have been a 
that would have been a whole a whole uh, different ball game altogether. So in that regards, I think it definitely worked out. Uh, I think definitely as a team, like you said, it was a it was an awesome team effort. I'm um, just a, I think everyone around the the Packers, you know, media sphere, I think just did a fantastic job, um, especially given all the circumstances. So it was fun to kind of see everything and uh, you know kind of have some form of normalcy, even though this draft certainly was, you know, everything except normal, but it still felt mostly normal as you're, you know, getting the, the picks coming in and everything like that. So uh, it was an exciting weekend overall, uh, but but really, Ross, I, I just want to let you go. I want to I want to hear the Ross Uglum take on, a, you just set you free. What was your overarching take on the Packers 2020 NFL draft? Uh, you know, I think it's... Uh disappointment is kind of the theme um, and almost being mystified is sort of where I'm at. Um, after watching the guys, and, and these are all guys too that uh, I like, and I think one tweet that I'm getting a lot of engagement on is just a simple reply to Zach Cruz, and I said, players, thumbs up, value, thumbs down, and I, I, I mean that. And, and um, you know, I, I think the entire thing is going to be defined by one guy. Hello, <laughs> like of course you know. Right. Um, I, I love John. You know, I love John Ledyard, but he said it was the worst draft he's seen in seven years since he started covering the draft. And um, sure, you know, maybe uh, with hindsight, I'm sure I can find pretty awful drafts, but uh, none of it matters uh, if if Jordan Love is a as a Pro Bowl, All Pro, Super Bowl winning quarterback, literally at any point in in his time in Green Bay. If he wins one title, this entire draft was worth it. But, um, like I said, the theme was a lack of value. Uh, I, I don't think a great understanding of the board, or at least what the media perceived the board to be. You, you see a lot of people uh, positing, you know, well, what if they got Jordan Love in the, in the first? And then uh, what if they would have grabbed, you know, Brian Edwards or – uh, what if they would have grabbed Devin Duvernay at at uh, A.J. Dillon's spot and then taken Dillon in the third and taken Josiah in the fourth had they not traded up for love? Like, what if they had bumped all these guys down around? And I think that that has a little bit of valid value in that, as I mentioned, I like the players. I don't like the value. Uh, Josiah was my second H-back. I, I had Thad Moss ahead of him. That's it. He, you know, he was my number two guy at that spot. Where do you value that? I don't think the third round, but clearly the Packers do. A.J. Dillon, top eight running back for me in a, in a class that I liked. And where do I value that? About 100th. You know, that, that's about, about for me. That's where a back would be. And if we were drafted in 1995, he would have been a, you know, he would have been – projected as a second-round pick. But where do you value that? About a, about a round and a half after they took him. And, and that kind of was the theme until we got to day three. And that's where I, I think I found a little bit of hope was that uh, not only through undrafted free agency and grabbing a couple of guys that uh, I had rated higher than guys that they drafted, plus, you know, the um, uh, bolstering or at least the opportunity to bolster that uh, offensive line. I, I thought that honestly they had a phenomenal day three, and I think it gets overshadowed because day one was such a bombshell, and everybody believes, and I agree that they mismanaged day two. 
But I really thought day three was great. I think Kamal Martin, um, if you guys had a chance to read, and I guess I'm kind of pulling the curtain on our VIP content, but, uh, the, you know, the guy said, the, the NFL executive said, I love Martin at that spot. I think they got a better version of Blake Martinez. If if Kamal Martin is is a hundred and hundred and three percent of Blake Martinez, that's an absolute home run pick. And I know people think that Blake stunk, and you know the fan base wrote him and stuff. But if Kamal Martin is even a slightly better version of Blake Martinez at pick one seventy five, it's a home run. And then. The three offensive linemen, and my pick of the draft was John Garvin. And I'm going to get deeper into that, you know, because my buddy Trevor calls me hashtag pass rush guy. Like, we're going to get there on him. But depending on what his agilities might have ended up being, he could have been a force player for Justice Mosqueda. I think he's right on the edge. Uh, You look at that vertical, you look at that broad jump, you talk about explosive athleticism. He was a top 20 edge for me in a class that I didn't love at the top but loved the depth. And that was the best value. I had a fourth-round fourth grade on him. I think he was 130 or 140 for me, and they got him at 240, and I thought easily the best value. I'm gonna, And I know we'll probably summarize at the end. I, I will tell you this, and I, I could see it happening too. If in four years Jake Hansen is the starting center – John Runyon Jr. starting somewhere on the line, and Jordan Love is an above-average quarterback. This draft wasn't good; it was a home run. Yeah, I, I think you're. I think you're right there. I think you could even go a step further in what you're saying, in that if they got a, a Blake Martinez at inside linebacker, of that type of player at inside linebacker, if one of those guys hits on the offensive line as a, a really good starting player. You, you look at somebody like a Scott Wells, who they got in like the seventh round. I'm not even necessarily saying that they have to be like a, a Josh Sitton um, or a David Bakhtiari, a TJ Lang, someone like that. If one of those guys even hits as a really start, you know solid starting player along the offensive line, just one of the three, and then you get a guy like Jonathan Garvin in, in, in the late round, and we've seen this before. You, you go back to 2004, and I bring that up. 2004 was a terrible draft, and then at the end of it, in the sixth and seventh round, they get Corey Williams and, and Scott Wells. Now, is that a good draft? No, but like I said, if you get a, a Blake Martinez, an inside linebacker, a starting center, and, and a potential really nice edge rusher out of this draft, you didn't even hit on anything in the first three days, and you could still potentially have a good draft there. So uh, a, a lot of story is left to be told here, but I, I do think that it is worth noting that, you know, if, if I remember correctly, Ross, you didn't have any of the players the Packers drafted in your top 100. Is that correct? No, no, I didn't. I didn't, and I'm not going to go back and retroactively change you know, grades to make what they did look any better. Right. Um, but again, what I, I want to clarify on that, it, the, the top three picks, I, I'm not trying to make excuses because, I mean, I came on Twitter. Um, there's, no, there's no mystery. I'm a Packers fan. I have been that way since I was five years old. Uh, there's no mystery that I want them to do well. I know I'm supposed to pretend, you know, with, in my position, the job title that I hold, I'm supposed to pretend that I'm neutral. I'm not. The Packers lose, I'm upset. The Packers win, I'm happy. It's just what it is. I gave them a D plus, C minus, somewhere in their grade. Uh, I, I I don't feel like they did the best that they could, but I do have reasoning behind those guys. Number one, Jordan Love. I thought he was a first-round talent. I think he's a top-15 talent, franchise quarterback. 
number like probably in the conversation for number one, especially if Burrow doesn't go from Burrow basically did the bizarro Jordan Love. Yeah. Looked completely lost. Not completely lost. That's mean. Was not Joe Burrow in 2018 and then became Joe Burrow in 2019. Jordan Love was Superman in 2018 and then he turned into Clark Kent in 2019. I, I, when I watched Clark Kent in 2019, I did not see a draftable player. Right? I saw a fifth, a sixth, a seventh round pick. And so I hedged. You know, my, my ranking of him was like a hundredth, something right around a hundredth, 108th maybe, doesn't matter. And I was just hedging. If he, if, if those bad habits can't be fixed, then he's Kaiser. He's, he's, he's Drew Locke. He's, you know, uh, just another one of these guys in a long list of big-armed, inaccurate quarterbacks that drive me insane and, and don't don't win. They don't turn out, basically. And if he if he's 2018 Jordan Love, then they did exactly what they were supposed to do. But that was a hedge between a guy that I would have ranked in the 200s and a guy that I would have ranked 15th. And I was trying to find, you know, some sort of, some sort of middle ground there uh, because of how just disturbing – his accuracy and his decision-making one was in 2019 with the way that football games are officiated now turning the, you know, throwing 17 picks in 11 games just is not, it just doesn't happen. I mean, I think he led the FBS in interceptions, uh, just a rough, a rough year. Anyway, uh, AJ Dillon, like I said, if I'm ranking a running back around 100, it means I can think he really, he can, I think he can really play. And with DeGuara, Again, he was my number two guy at his position. I thought that H-back role, he was the number two guy to Thad Moss, who honestly might have had disqualifying medicals. So I might think that, that DeGuar is number one. It was just the value. I am not going to rate an H-back in my top 100. Maybe any H-back. So that that was the kind of the reasoning behind that. And then, uh, oddly enough, I think it was Garvin and Stanford Samuels that ended up the the other guys high up in my rankings. Yeah, and, and kind of where I was going with that is, you know, I know you didn't have, you know, those guys in your top 100. This was, you know, basically panned by all experts, and, yeah. and I'll get to that in a second. You know, Thor Nystrom, our, our, you know, friend of the podcast, friend of both podcasts here, you know, he put together a bottom seven consensus grade for the NFL draft classes, and you know the average grade that the, that the writers gave out was a 3.0. Uh, the Packers were dead last with a 1.31. Um, you basically go to any you know NFL draft site and, and go to their expert analysis of grading the picks, and the Packers are in the bottom four, if not the bottom one, on almost all of them. Um, I know Mel Kuyper gave it a C. Um, I know, like you said, uh, John Ludyard said it was one of the worst classes he's seen, you know, seen in a while. Um, I also thought that it was interesting. Um, you know, Dan Hartman put together uh, a, a list of, of uh, you know, a, a poll of NFL scouts and executives after day two. Um, and basically, he asked them these questions. He said, "What team, other than you, uh, have impressed you most through days, you know, through day two? And were there any teams that you felt dropped the ball?" These are NFL scouts and executives. This is not media members. This is not prognosticators. This is 
uh, or NFL draft experts. These are, again, people in the NFL. The number one team that came up with dropped the ball, this was after day two, was Green Bay with nine votes. And, and Dan Hatman pointed out, you know, that this, this was not negativity, more just questioning the strategy and the value. Um, and again, Green Bay was the number one that was listed in, in the drop the ball, you know, category. And I just think it, I think it's worth noting here. And I think you put it perfectly, Ross, in, in your tweet when you said, you know, like the players, you question, you know, kind of the strategy and how they kind of went about, you know, getting those players. And, and I'm right there with you. The, the word that I would use to define this draft was perplexing. If you would have told me going in that they took a, a quarterback, a running back, and a, or a quarterback, a power running back, and a H-back in the first three rounds of the draft, if you would have told me that any of the 32 teams, you know, really went quarterback, <laughs> running back, you know, power running back, H-back, I would have had serious questions. Now, if it was a team that needed a, a quarterback, you know, round one, um, and then they maybe really wanted to surround that, you know, that quarterback with a power running game as they maybe learn the system or something like that. Okay, uh, maybe there would be something to that story being told. But quarterback, power running back, H-back, first three rounds would have been, literally you could have told me that I could have had a million guesses to what positions they would have picked in the first three rounds. I don't know that I ever would have got to quarterback, power running back, H-back in those million guesses. Um, so it was perplexing to say the least. They didn't address wide receiver, which is well known at this point. Me, to me, maybe more egregious is not uh, not uh, you know selecting a defensive lineman or addressing that potential issue either. So th- those were kind of my overarching thoughts. And again, this is not uh, you know disliking the players. I think there's a lot to like that we're going to get to in just a moment. But the strategy and and how they kind of went about getting to that spot was really really questionable. And I do think that it's fair. To, to question, you know, some of that strategy and how they actually got to the picks that they made. Oh, for I mean, it's completely fair. And I, I think we'd be doing a disservice if we just pretended that everything was all right. Uh, I, I will say, and, and then I, I'm immediately going to defend them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but but here's, here's what I'll say about those two spots, okay? The, the first thing is I think they're going to potentially address defensive line with a veteran. I think. Gutekunst mentioned that ready list that he has. I, I think he might be going to the ready list. The other thing is I think they might have drafted their defensive lineman when they picked Gerald Willis off of waivers. Um, <laughs> you talk about where I had guys ranked. Gerald Willis would have been my number two guy in this class, who was, by the way, just drafted last year. From my own rankings, Gerald Willis would have been the number two guy in this draft class that – Green Bay just put together. I don't know if that's high praise or maybe more of a signal that we got a problem here, but that's where I view that guy. And as far as wide receivers, I'm with Goody. Honestly, I am. When he, I would have drafted one 100%. I, I said this from this morning. I said, man, imagine it, what we would be talking about right now if they had just taken Denzel Mims at 26 or LaVisca Chanel. What, I don't really, you know, my guy's Visca, most people, Mims, whatever. Let's say they take Mims at 26, then they take Dylan at 62, and then they take Josiah at 94. I th- I honestly think, even though those are kind of nuts picks, I still think people are like, man, look at all this stuff they're putting around Rodgers. Now he's got the power back for the cold weather. They gave him a use chick, and they gave him a wide receiver opposite Devontae Adams, and they've got the speed guy in Scanling, and they've got this, and they've got that. And I think it's a completely different conversation 
but they did take Jordan Love, and that is uh, kind of the, the the hitch there. It's the rub. But I'm I'm with Goody when he said, look, after we didn't get a guy in round one or round two, we weren't going to pick anybody that was going to make the team anyway. And I'm with him. I I think that's I I've been on the bandwagon as far as let these guys at least get through their third year in the league before you write them off. How many receivers in Packers history had to have big breakouts in year three or year four? And how much did Devontae Adams have to make you look like an idiot before you give these guys a little bit of chance to develop? Uh, But I'm with him. I don't think there's anybody after I think I mentioned my guys – John Hightower and and Tyler Johnson, I would have loved to see either of those two. But after TJ and Hightower went, I'm with him. Yeah, they wouldn't make the team anyway, so what's the point? Yeah, and and what I said, you know, kind of going into, I think it was the fifth round, but it was the fifth round because they didn't have a fourth-round pick. At that point in the draft, position no longer matters. Absolutely. Um, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh round, you're not getting, you're not trying to draft guys that are going to come in and compete for playing time in 2020. You are trying to find some sort of hidden gem at any position. Just take the best player on your board, and if they can come in and compete and make an impact, that is, you know, icing on any sort of cake. You know, at that point in the draft, because those fifth, sixth, seventh round guys, you're just throwing, you know, even more darts at a board at that point. So you're not specifically, you know, picking somebody. To, to come in and compete and even potentially make a team. You're just trying to find, like I said, those hidden gems. So uh, I'm with you. Once once they got past round three and didn't address wide receiver, the, the position that they chose really didn't matter. I, I, I would I would hope that they were just taking, you know, those best players on the board regardless of positions at that point because it's just a much better strategy to have. So I, I think we're definitely both on the same page there. Let's let's jump over to Jordan Love because this is, as you mentioned, the the make or break pick of this entire draft. This choice will be, you know, really tied to, to Brian Gutekunst in in his era uh, for a long, long time. You know, potentially forever, and potentially it's a make or break pick for him. You mentioned, and I thought it was it was well put. You know, big armed and accurate quarterbacks. And he, you know, Jordan Love is that. He's, you see the arm talent, you see the inaccuracies, you see the turnover issues. Um, massive, massive turnover numbers this past year in, in 2019. I will tell you, and, and I've made mention of this uh, on Twitter and, and uh, maybe on some of the other stuff that I did over the weekend, every single type of quarterback, the ones that you mentioned, the, the Drew Locks, the Deshaun Kaisers, the you know, insert X, Y, and Z quarterback that has the big arm and the, the accuracy issues, the Josh Allens, you know, so on and so forth, every single one of those quarterbacks, I have said, pass, no thank you, not interested, not my guy, I'll wait till I find somebody who you know is more accurate and is a better decision maker. It's just too much of an important aspect of the position. Jordan Love is the only player that I can think of in the last 10 years that's had some of those issues that I still felt, you know what, I like this guy. I, I have a first slash second round grade on him because you go and look at the the 2018 you know Michigan State. You look at 2019 Fresno State. You watch the the, the top three or four you know games on Jordan Love, and you are convinced. And I know this is a, a, a you know bored narrative at this point. Everyone's kind of said a lot of the same things, but you you watch those top three or four games, and you see the the talent to be a top end quarterback. You know in, in the NFL, you see NFL throw after NFL throw. 
you see him stringing some of those things together. You see him reading defenses, going left to right, going through some progressions. There are signs of that that you see. Then you, unfortunately, go and watch the, the BYU or the LSU or some of those other games and you are immediately kind of brought back down to life. But I don't know about you, but the, this is pre-draft. This is all pre-draft, not me going back and, and watching it afterwards. The more I watched him, the more I personally wanted to buy into him. And that's usually against what I would say for that type of player. Yeah, no, I, I mean, we, we're in complete lockstep. And and love, you know, as I mentioned, like – I. If you look at my timeline, it looks like I'm trying to sell the guy. And what the reality of the situation is, is just I'm working through 2018 and I'll get to 2019 when I when I get there. I mean, I watched this stuff, but I, I want to pull clips. I mean, uh, I want to I want to share this stuff with you people that are you know kind enough to follow me. And so um, I, I'm not trying to make excuses. I'm not trying to sell this pick to all of you, but. Uh, the the holy can I curse? Yeah, of course. Of course. This is the, <laughs> the day holy, after the draft. Yeah, the holy shit throws are the holy shit throws. Like when he yeah. when he throws that ball against Michigan State across his body to the <laughs> sideline into a six inch window. I mean, like he I'm, there. Burrow can't make that throw. Tua can't make that throw. They physically are not capable of it. Would I have taken Burrow or? Tua over Jordan Love, absolutely. But the good is Mahomes. The good is Rodgers. And I promise you, I'm not being hyperbolic. I've watched the tape. Like he, the good is as good as it gets. I don't care what freak you want to talk about. You want to talk about Brett? We'll talk about Brett. You want to talk about Patty Mahomes? We'll talk about Patty Mahomes. Uh, you want to talk about about Rodgers? We'll do that too. The freak show stuff is. At that level with Jordan Love, uh, it just, you know, can you live with the, I think it was Renner's stat, can you live with 14%, 15%, 16% of passes between 10 and 19 yards being uncatchable? Can you live with turning the ball over at a rate that would remind a lot of people of number four and not very many people of number 12? Can you live with those things? Can you coach those things out of him? And can you find a way to make him you know more consistent can you find a way to get good Jordan Love 70 80 90 percent of the time because if you can no brainer first round pick all day long you know absolutely no question yeah no like you said we're, we're in lockstep in this one we're certainly in agreement the the, the the bad throws, the bad decision-making is tough to overcome. And I, one of the concerns that I had with Jordan Love and one of the things that I had you know, difficulty getting over is you would see a lot of the same mistakes, some of the same interceptions. How the, the BYU game, it was basically the, the, you know, kind of the same interception twice, if, if I remember correctly. Um, you know, you see those same sort of mistakes kind of you know, prop up from time to time, and you want to see him learn from some of those. At the same token, and I, I know this story has been told as well, he, he had the, the new coaching staff. He also did not have the talent around him in 2019. And a lot of people um, will get upset at times with, with Rodgers because they feel like, you know, he's playing safe ball and he, he's not, you know, trying to, uh, you know, 
be aggressive with the football when maybe there's times that he needs to be aggressive with the football. You know, Jordan Love said, you know, basically said through his through his play, hey, I'm going to go out and I'm going to try to make plays. I'm playing LSU. I'm playing BYU. We're outmatched. We're outgunned. And if we're going to win this game, I'm going to have to do some spectacular things. And he tried to do that. And unfortunately, some of the times it, it didn't work out. Um, if you remember, you know, a couple things. One, Deshaun Watson had a lot of interception in, you know, uh, issues in his final season. Um, you know, that that's one comparison there. And the other thing, we talk about projecting these quarterbacks. You know, Favre and Aaron Rodgers, you, you brought up those two names. You know, Favre was a massive, 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 massive projection when Ron Wolf made the trade to trade a first-round pick for a guy who had a serious medical medical concern, uh, a guy that had some you know some off the field concerns, you know the, a guy that uh, was was basically a you know a third string quarterback who was his first pick ever was a pick six was not showing anything in Atlanta, um, and he trusted his gut, he trusted his projection, and he went and traded for Brett Favre. You know Aaron Rodgers, obviously the the parallels with Jordan Love, we know all of those already. I, th- I think it's I think it's understated. Um, how much of a projection that Aaron Rodgers was, and you go back and you watch those first two years of Aaron Rodgers when he was playing in preseason, even got some end-of-game action. He was so uncomfortable in the pocket. He still had the weird uh, you know, throwing action. It was, he was jittery is probably the best way to put it. I mean, he looks nothing, absolutely nothing like the Aaron Rodgers that we even saw you know, when he played in that Dallas game, and I think year three of his, of his career, if I remember correctly. But uh, you know, those players are projections too. And, um, you know, this is Gutekunst's projection that he's going to be able to, to work along with Matt LaFleur and uh, the rest of the coaching staff, that they're going to be able to work uh, with Jordan Love and, and make sure that he reaches the, the top of his powers. And if he does, then to the rest of the NFC North, look the hell out because they went back to back to back. Yeah, and, I mean, that that's the thing, right? It, if they got it right, then... I mean, they're just going to be beside themselves because that's all you ever hear from those fan bases. Well, what, what it's, I mean, obviously putting Jordan Love in the Hall of Fame, a guy that I just ranked 108th in the class, <laughs> is, you know, but that's all you ever hear. Well, what, what would happen if you didn't have a good quarterback? They might not get to find out. But, yeah, uh, and, and you know, Rodgers, what I will say is, they, they were completely different just in a sense of accuracy and, and decision-making were not among his questions. Big time. Mechanics, sure. Jeff Tedford, yep. And I don't think – the other thing is I don't think Jordan Love was ever in that conversation to be anything higher than QB3 in this class. Rodgers was maybe supposed to go number one. This was not a Burrow situation where everybody just knew – that Alex Smith was going to go one, you know, th- there were some legitimate talk that Rogers would go one and, you know, then maybe Smith slides down or whatever, but uh, love did not have this waiting in the green room, even though there was no green room, love did not have some waiting in the green room slide. Uh, it's just very clear that LaFleur and Goody saw what they saw in 2018 and went, you know what? We we can we can we can get here and, and we can keep it here and this is our guy and it's gonna ha- I mean they're gonna go down with the ship so <laughs> we'll see it. I've I've mentioned that this is either gonna be Gutekunst and Lafleur's masterpiece or he's gonna get everyone fired. 
that you know, unfortunately, that that very much may be the case uh, when you take a quarterback and move up to take a quarterback. Uh, you're you're putting a major stamp of approval on that player, and like I said earlier, he's going to be tied to to Brian Gutekunst's legacy quite a bit. The last thing I want to talk about, Jordan Love, before we move on, and one of the things that I think is most interesting, and one of the things that I kind of go back and forth on a little bit, if you if you would tell me that an NFL general manager had to use a basically late fourth, which is basically almost like a fifth round pick, to move up to go get their guy um, in an NFL draft. I would tell you a million times out of a million that that late fourth round pick is irrelevant. Move up, go get your guy, um, and that's way more important. And certainly, if, if Jordan Love was their last, you know, or, you know, or certainly their top, um, you know, first round grade still on the board, then yeah, go go up, get your guy. But I also fight with the aspect of like, if this was you know something where where Rogers was in like the the last you know maybe even couple years of his deal or certainly the last year of his deal and that that clock is ticking certainly more than it feels in 2020. Um, no questions about moving up, but the optics of moving up to get your guy at quarterback just also seem totally different. I think you were spot on before of if you, you know, when you said if, if the, the the narrative would have been if they went and got Mims and then Dylan and then DeGuerra, it would have been all about look at all that Brian Gutekunst did to surround Aaron Rodgers with weapons. There's also, to me, an optics uh, and a story to be told of, of going up to get their quarterback. And I think the story is a lot different if Jordan Love falls to 30 and they select him there because they can say, you know, he was just too good of an opportunity for us to pass up on. Um, you know, he's sitting there at 30. He's the best player on our board. Uh, but they, you know, aggressively is maybe the wrong word because, again, it's a bottom of the fourth round pick to move up four spots. It's not an aggressive move. It's not like they went up like the Chiefs did top ten uh, to get um, Patrick Mahomes. But it's still a move up to get their guy at quarterback. And the optics to that, there, there's a connotation there. And, and I think it just does tie Brian Gutekunst to, to Jordan Love that much more. And even though, like I would say, my normal strategy would be like always use the four to go up and get that guy, it just it, it would have felt a lot different if they were able to get him at 30. Yeah, I, I think so too. And, and so if you guys haven't uh, had a chance, I did write all of my thoughts uh, on this issue over at Packer Report. It was a, one of our free articles uh, over the weekend. And, you know, my issue is, is, is this, is that it doesn't line up in a great place for, for Rodgers. And I'm not protecting Rodgers. The point is that, you know, for this to break the way that they want, I just don't even know what that looks like. I have talked ad nauseum about truly the tremendous opportunity that is having a roster with a good young quarterback on a rookie deal. You, I mean, every every Super Bowl basically in recent memory, outside of 2016, when LaFleur and Matt Ryan went to the title game against uh, Brady and blew that big lead, when you when you look at these teams, you know, the Eagles, Carson Wentz, obviously uh, Foles was the quarterback, but they were loaded, loaded roster-wise because Wentz wasn't making any money. Um, last year, Patrick Mahomes. The Chiefs were loaded roster-wise because Patrick isn't making any money yet. Uh, Russell Wilson, the C, you know the the 13 Seahawks and the 14 Seahawks. Russell Wilson was making third round. I mean, Russell Wilson was making no money, no money, and 
the ability to build a team around a good quarterback who isn't making anything is a rare thing. And I just don't understand how they're ever going to be able to do that with Jordan Love unless they usher Rodgers out of town and pay dead money against the cap. Or, and frankly, tarnish that legacy that, that Brian Gutekunst has been talking about forever. Or things go well and you keep Rodgers and everything that Matt LaFleur said about Rodgers, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't lying about. And I'm not accusing the head coach of lying. I'm just saying, like, if all that comes to pass and Matt LaFleur means what he says and Rodgers want, you know, is going to play till he's in his 40s and everything Brian Gutekunst says is going to come to pass and he's going to play into his 40s, well, then what with Jordan Love? If he's shown anything, A, he's going to want to start, and B, it's not going to be cheap. I mean, you look at what the what the Titans just gave Ryan Tannehill after showing, I don't know, what, 36 quarters of functional football? You look at what the 49ers were, were uh, willing to give Jimmy Garoppolo after showing almost nothing? Uh, if, if Jordan Love looks at all capable, someone is going to pay him. And so the financials of the thing, and I know I sound like an accountant, the financials of the thing matter because it's a salary cap league. And I just don't know uh, where, the, where, where the correct balance is and how you strike that correct balance. The, the easiest way, obviously, is if, you know, Rodgers' play completely falls off a cliff and Jordan Love is really good. And I don't re- really think any of us want that to happen. <laughs> Yeah, it's a tough conversation to have, and, um, you know, if you look at, like, the greatest um, or, or the, the, the best, best, best case scenario, you know, the best case scenario would be, like, you know, Rodgers plays until he's 40, he meets that fourth year uh, of his deal, they win the Super Bowl, he walks out on top, retires at age 40, and then, you know, the Packers pick up the fifth-year option on Jordan Love, and he takes over, um, you know, in his fifth year of the, the deal, in that scenario, in that insane, perfect world, the best case scenario, um, you know, Rogers walks off, everything's great. You probably haven't seen much from Jordan Love at that point. The Packers were required to pick up that fifth-year option much, much earlier on Jordan Love. The fifth-year option is fairly expensive, and now he's their starting quarterback on a very expensive one-year deal um, where they have basically, you know, one year to kind of see what he is at, at a pretty expensive deal. And if he's good, then it's immediately a mega contract. They're going to give $40 million a year, and exactly. by then it might, be, it might mean 45 Yeah, which, again, if he's, if he's the third coming, I guess, in this case, f- fine. You know, that, that's great. But like you said, the, the number one way to work the system, as, as you mentioned just a minute ago, is to find a super great quarterback or at least a really good quarterback on a super cheap deal. And if you can do that and, and stock your team with talent to surround it, it is definitely a cheat code to success in the NFL. And, and the Packers kind of will not have that opportunity because in those cheap years with Jordan Love, they're going to still be paying Aaron Rodgers. So it's, it's really, really tough to wrap your head around of like the, the best case scenario and how that's going to happen. But hopefully there is one. Hopefully it plays out perfectly. And that's what's so much fun about following this league. Uh, let, let's jump to, to some of these remain, you know, remaining picks because obviously we want to get to some of these as well. We touched base a little bit on A.J. Dillon already, or uh, you know, at least you did. Um, you know, I think fans are really going to w- love watching him run. Like you said, really fun player. I, I'm wondering, the, the narrative on him coming out was obviously that 
you know, power running back, you know, super gifted athletically to an extent. There's some, uh, you know, some issues I think with the uh, agility a little bit, but if the if the the case in point that the the scouts and even AJ Dillon and Brian Gutekunst were trying to make that hey this guy can actually catch the football and we actually think he can be a good receiving back out of the backfield and we think he can be a really good player at picking up blitzes does that change the 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 potential narrative here with an AJ Dillon in the second round if he actually can go out and not only be this power back but actually be a at least a decent receiving threat out of the backfield. Oh, oh my God! Yeah, yeah. I mean, he would be uh, from a strict running perspective. I would have had him as RB probably three or four. Um, you know, in the conversation with Dobbins and Acres, because that was kind of where I was at. But Dobbins and Acres showed a little bit more in the passing game. It's a passing league. You want to know why I have a really good running back ranked 108th? Because I don't really care about running the football all that much, and I believe in the process behind drafting Aaron Jones in the fifth round and watching him become a star. With that said, if A.J. Dillon, as a true runner, as, a, as, a, as just looking at that part of his game, if he is a gifted pass receiver, even in the way that like Jamal Williams is a gifted pass receiver, if he has that element to his game, as I mentioned, he's he's. He, I'm not going to take him before Jonathan Taylor. I'm not going to take him before DeAndre Swift. But he, for me, is then in the Cam Akers, J.K. Dobbins discussion where this is a complete back. And if he has, I've got a comp, and it's actually the comp that he gave himself at the combine. If he has those receiving skills, he's Steven Jackson. Hmm. And Steven Jackson was a hell of a weapon for the the Rams out of the backfield as a receiving threat and obviously as a power runner. A player that I I remember very distinctly uh, Packer fans wanting the Packers to trade for for some time. Uh, obviously, that never came to fruition. But, uh, you know, if, if he's remotely close to a, a Steven Jackson-type player, while I'm not a huge fan of spending, you know, top resources, uh, including first, second-round picks and, you know, a large free agent money on running backs, to me – if that becomes the case, if he can be that receiving threat, a guy that can pick up blitzes and, and be the, the power runner that they think he can be, yeah, you know, end of second round, I can live with that. I can absolutely live with that. For sure. And, I mean, that that's the other part is you see these numbers by the players and it says second round, third round. Yeah, okay. It was still 64 and 96. It's not – the same as like when they took Elton Jenkins at 41. It's a yeah. it's a completely different thing. Yeah, it really, really is. And I, you know, I think sometimes it's it's actually better to point out, you know, what pick they were actually taken at because of that. Because an early second round pick is is basically like guys you had a potentially had a first round grade on, and uh, you know, a late second or a, a late third round pick, you know, could is it's just a totally a million times percent totally different story. So um, I think I think you know you made the point before. Really like AJ Dillon as a running back. I think fans are really going to enjoy the way that he runs the football. I think he, he you know he could be. Uh, even even in a bad case, I think you could have a very Eddie Lacy type career, and and I think fans are like I said are really going to enjoy watching that. But um, you know, it's just all about trying to build a team, and, and roster building is a really interesting study. And uh, a second round pick for a power running back is is usually a rich, uh, you know, a rich proposition. But like I said, he's a, he's a very fun player, and I think fans are going to like him. 
The next pick, Josiah Deguera, I think is one of the more intriguing ones. And again, you're you're talking about rich picks. Well, an H back in round three is, is the definition of a rich pick. But but I think it's worth noting here. You know, people have said, oh, I can't believe they spent a third round pick on a fullback, and he's just going to be you know Danny Vitale. I don't see that at all. You know, you watch him and you see him lined up in the slot. You see him, you know, more, much more as a receiver than you even do as a blocker. He is not just going to be a guy that's lining up in front of Aaron Jones or A.J. Dillon and just, you know, power fullbacking for, you know, 20 snaps a game. This is going to be a guy that they use all around the offense and that you could tell there was a tangible feel when Matt LaFleur was asked about Josiah DeGuerra, how excited that he was to have Josiah DeGuerra in his offense. Oh, for sure, man. I mean, um, you talk about some of the reach block stuff that they're going to be able to do with him in the run game. Uh, have him split out a little bit more, um, you know, kind of to the to the side and run sort of that kind of stuff as far as uh, instead of just having him flat out line up at fullback. But I think he has that ability to line up about at fullback. And uh, Ben Fennell, I can't remember what the term was. I'm going to pull up his Twitter while I'm talking here and try and uh, try and grab the term. But what he was talking about is the ability to um, have the same personnel but a different formation. So what you, you know, you're, you're not showing what, you're not showing what you're doing by who you're putting out on the field. And that's exactly what the ability, um, what, what the ability he, he possesses brings to your team. You, two-way disguise, that's what we call two-way disguise. So, you know, you can come out, and, and I mentioned a couple of different uh, personnel groupings, but if you want to have big personnel out there, you can have one of the backs, and it doesn't have to be Dylan, but, I mean, Aaron Jones, whatever. Well, if you have Aaron Jones, Jay Sternberger, DeGuara, and two receivers out there, well, let's say one is Devontae, obviously probably would be. Well, Devontae can play X, slot, and Z. Then you put the receiver at the other position. Well, Jace can play inline tight end or Jace can play slot. DeGuara can play fullback, inline tight end, or slot. Aaron Jones can play wide receiver, slot, or running back. You have the ability to line up in 10, in empty, in straight up the I formation and just run your 21 personnel stuff without ever actually substituting or without tipping your hand in any way to what they're, you know, to what you're doing. And if you can do that and move the ball, that's obviously the key. And I know that doesn't sound like any type of, you know, brilliant analysis. But what I mean by that is if if Josiah DeGuara can both beat Nichols and get open in coverage and smash the face of a, of a, of a linebacker in the hole and create space for Aaron Jones, he is tremendously valuable to what you're doing as a football team. Is he worth a third-round pick? That's a completely different conversation. Yeah, I think that you're right there. And the the thing that I've been thinking a lot about is, as I was watching Deguera Mori, I did you know as much uh, film as I could possibly find. I found two All-22s, uh, one game tape, and uh, some highlights, uh, and, and did as much as I could uh, to find that. But uh, what I saw is, or what I kept thinking, I guess I should say, is you talk about Deguera and some of the stuff that you saw late in the year from Jay Sternberger. We saw Jay Sternberger lined up as a, a fullback. We saw him lined up as an H-back. We saw him lined up in the slot. We saw him lined up as a tight end. 
You bring out those two guys, Aaron Jones in the backfield, uh, Devontae Adams, let's even say a Devin Funches, who's a bigger, more physical guy at earlier in his, his college career, played some tight end, uh, you know, should be able to be a good blocker as a, rece- you know, as a receiver. That is a really interesting formation to come out on for, you know, for defenses. You know, you want to go, uh, you know, heavy. You want to, you know, use like a base defense against that team. Like you mentioned, Aaron Jones can line up wide. Sternberger can line up wide. DeGuerre can line up wide. Of course, Funches and Adams can. You line them up wide, maybe keep one of those guys in the block if you want to, and pick your mismatch and kind of go to town, let Aaron work. You know, they go nickel or certainly if they go dime, you put, you know, one of those guys in at fullback, you put the other in at tight end, you can do some stuff with Devin Funches as a as a blocker. You could even probably line him up in some really unique formations as well. You put Devontae out wide, they have to keep an eye, if not two eyes on him. Good luck stopping that with a nickel or dime defense if they want to go power in that situation. So those two together and some of the duplicity and, and some of the things that Sternberger and I think DeGuerra would be able to mirror each other on, I, I think could make that offense really, really really fun with those two players for Matt LaFleur at his disposal. Yeah, I mean, without question, and and I, like I said, it's it's not, and this is going to be the theme of the show, it's not the players, it's the value. Yeah, we're, we're definitely right there, uh, as, as I think a lot of other people are as well. Uh, we got to rocket through some of this other stuff, but let, let's talk day three shortly. I know you kind of mentioned Kamal Martin already. We touched based on the offensive lineman, um, of course, Vernon Scott, and then uh, Jonathan Garvin late. Um, I'm with you on Jonathan Garvin. That that was, you know, probably my favorite pick of the draft, if I'm being totally honest, uh, where I thought they got a just a tremendous value at, at a, uh, a a late spot in the draft. You, you see serious flashes out of him as an edge rusher. Came out a year too early. If he would have stayed in, I think he's probably third, fourth, you know, round pick at worst uh, going into next year's draft if his progression uh, goes the way that I would think it should in college. But um, and if there's a college season, I guess. But I uh, really, really love that pick in the seventh round. I know you mentioned Martin and Garvin already, but I'll kind of let you take off and maybe go over some of your favorite things about day three. Yeah, you know, Garvin, I think uh, the, the insane part is that actually his 2018 tape is the best. You look at uh, tackles for loss, sacks. Uh, I haven't found any, char- uh, any um, you know, uh, pressure charting as far as QB hits, QB hurries, et cetera. But, man, uh, what he was able to do as a sophomore was wild. And then you move on to the junior tape, and it's a little bit more pedestrian. But then you look at some of these, uh, you know, you, you look at some of these um, testing numbers, and you understand just how explosive an athlete this guy is. I'm really impressed with Garvin. I, as I mentioned, had him in the 130s, 140s, top 20 edge in the class. Thought it was a flatter edge class in the middle before it tapered off. Did not love the top at all after Chase Young. I don't have that much of a higher grade on my edge 15 or 16 than I did on, you know, the Gross Matos in this class or, you know, the Curtis Weaver in this class. I I just didn't love the group but thought that there were a lot of useful, you know, guys as six, seven, eight sack guys in the league. And while they're never going to maybe make $20 million a year, a six, seven, eight sack guy in the league, they're they're useful. You know, if you can get, you can give me forty pressures and six sacks, I, I'm gonna put you on my team because I can, you know, I can use that. 
And uh, I think that Garvin, you know, maybe that's not the ceiling. You never really want to project ceiling for guys in the seventh round because they're just as likely to not make the team as they are to make the team. But, yeah, uh, I think from a straight-up value perspective, Garvin was their best pick, period. Uh, I, I, my, my book, they got him 100 spots after they should have been able to. So um, I, I think that makes him above and beyond the – the, the best pick of the of the draft from a value perspective. And then, um, you know, with the rest of it, it's it's pretty much Kamal and the, the offensive linemen. And with the offensive linemen, I just I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna say it right now. I will be shocked if John Runyon Jr. doesn't make it. I really will. Uh, and it's not to do who his dad was. I just watched him play and it was like, man, wh- what are these guys not seeing? You know, uh, you, you watch him uh, take on Gross Matos and take on Chase Young and ch- take on uh, both Notre Dame edges, and he gave them the business uh, when when they played this last year. He he was just phenomenal against you know Okora and Kareem, and Okora and Kareem were both top I think hundred picks, if not top top one fifty. Because I know Kareem went a little bit later, obviously than Okora did, but they were NFL edges. They were good edges, and he had no issue. And it's just the fact that he's short. He's six four. You know that that's why he's short and he doesn't have super long arms. And uh, especially the old school scouts, they hate it. They can't you know they can't deal with it. And then Stepaniak, yeah. who is the incredible Hulk, and Jay Canson. For all we know, man, I you talk about one position where the Packers have just been able to absolutely figure it out without putting any real resource into it. It's center. Uh, Evan Dietrich Smith. Undrafted guy, Scott Wells, six-round pick, played forever. And then Corey Lindsley as a late five. I mean, you, you can see, I think, some of the uh, similarities in Jake Hansen where if all of a sudden he's your he's your starter at center for the next six years, you're like, yep, that makes sense. Yeah, doesn't Jake Hansen center Green Bay Packers just sound like a guy that's going to stick for, you know, one of those six, oh, seven? Oh, my God, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it really does. I, I don't know if this is by design, but – in three of the, and I, if it is, I love it. In three of the last four years, the Packers have gone three um, of the same position on day three of the draft. You know, three years ago, it was the running backs. You know, they went Devontae Mays, Aaron Jones, Jamal Williams. You know, they hit on, on two of the three, and certainly one to a very high extent in Aaron Jones. Uh, two years ago, they went to three wide receivers. They went Jamon Moore, uh, Mark Vosvaldis Scantling, and Equinemius St. Brown. And while there isn't, you know, that type of Aaron Jones type of player from that group, um, the, you know, obviously they didn't get, you know, value on Jamon Moore, but the value they got on Equinemius St. Brown and MBS at the fifth and sixth, you know, rounds of the draft was really good value on both of those guys. Um, and then in this draft, uh, they go John Runyon, Jake Hansen, Simon Stepaniak, um, all in, probably interior offensive linemen. We don't know yet where Runyon will ultimately end up, but potentially three interior offensive linemen on day three of the draft. Um, and it would not, you know, like I said, if they just hit on one of those guys, um, and, and I think they, you know, could potentially hit on two, who knows? You know, there's a lot of value there in all three of those players, but even if they just hit on one, um, it would be a really nice way to do it. So I don't know if it's been by design, but I, I kind of like going in that direction and just seeing if, if maybe one of the three sticks. For sure. I mean, you, you talk about just throwing darts late, man, and uh, this this is the way to do it. Uh, an absolute athletic marvels, except for Hanson, which I don't think they care at center at all. I, I really don't. I don't think they care one bit 
Um, I don't think Lindsay was a super great athlete. I know Scott Wells wasn't a super great athlete. Uh, and, and don't even get me started on Frank Winters. I'll talk to Gilbert about uh, Gilbert about Frankie a little bit later on in the week. But um, I just don't think they care at, at that spot about athleticism. Stepaniak, though, man, I that video I posted of him ripping 37 bench reps at the combine is just mesmerizing. I mean, uh, throwing that thing up like it just doesn't weigh anything. And uh, it's an incredible amount of weight. I mean, just a, a, a complete freak show. I hope they can loosen up his hips a little bit and give it, get him moving uh, because he is upper body absolutely strong as an ox. And, and all, you know, as we mentioned, one or two of these guys, one guy pans out great. Two of them, all of a sudden, this class has to be addressed just completely differently. Yeah, it 100% does, and that's what makes it so fun. And I, I will say this time and time and time and time again. I think we put way, 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 way too much value on potentially where players were selected in the draft. If you go and you go through the Packers drafts year by year by year by year, outside of Aaron Rodgers um, and, you know, Jair Alexander, there's there's a couple, but outside of, like, Rodgers and Alexander – they're, those are the, the only two that come to my mind immediately where the first pick was actually the best one from their draft class. You know, you, you go and and just look at, at all the different years. Clay Matthews certainly wasn't picked, you know, the first, you know, B.J. Raji was in that class. Um, you know, Jermichael Finley, they got great value on. Just just go look sometime, and it's not always the guy that you would consider, you know, the first or second guy. I mentioned 2004 earlier, Scott Wells and Corey Williams were the best in that draft. You just don't know where you're going to get the best players from. So, you know, if, if they end up with three or four starters from this unit and they're all from day three of the draft or from this draft and they're all from day three, who the hell cares, you know? And and I know that it would suck if Jordan Love busted when they move up to get him in the first round. They take a quarterback still in Aaron Rodgers' prime. That yeah, it would be brutal. But if they get a starting inside linebacker, two starting offensive linemen, and a really good edge rusher on day three of the draft, you can still have a very successful draft, even with missing on a couple guys from from day one and two. For sure. I mean, anyway, we're kind of beating this into the ground, but if it, we have no idea. I mean, we just yeah. don't know. Uh, we can take in, and I think it's fair to look at my board and see that they didn't get a, a top 100 player and say that that was a, a failure and say that, um, you know, they mismanaged their resources. But if one of the offensive linemen works out, if DeGuara plays H-back there for a decade, A.J. Dillon, you know, plays out his contract and is a phenomenal second back I think he has a, a lot more potential than Jamal Williams and and I love Jamal I, I've enjoyed my interactions with him his entire career but he just has athletic limitations and I, I think you've seen some of those certainly uh, when he's been asked to be the bell cow I, I think you know he has he's a tremendous pass blocker he has awesome hands but Dylan and Jones is a terrifying potential uh grouping again would i have done it no i wouldn't i wouldn't have done it i said it when they took him but if those two guys work out one of the linemen work out and and jordan love works out nobody's gonna look back on this draft and give a damn about where these guys were taken 
hundred and hundred. In fact, if Jordan Love works out, none of this shit matters at all. Yeah, there's there's a couple different ways to look at it, and you're you're hundred percent correct. Uh, any undrafted free agents? I know you mentioned one earlier, but any undrafted free agents you're you know rather excited about? Oh man, Stanford Samuels, dude. He was like one thirty for me. He he's a guy with his length at six one, and you you know, I mean, um, I get grief for it all the time. How much I harp and harp and harp about athletic testing, and uh, you know, he didn't run well, but. That moved him from like 60th for me to you know one third. I, I moved him down two full rounds because he couldn't run. Um, you know the Vikings took a slower guy than him in the what? Th- when did they take Cam Dancer? Third round? I mean, um, Stanford Samuels and Cam Dancer to me do not have that different of tape. And and in fact, Stanford's built a lot better. Cam Dancer's super skinny. I think I had Cam you know maybe 20 spots ahead of Stanford just because Cam's tape really is that good, specifically his LSU tape is really good. But I don't have much more than just splitting hairs. I mean, um, you you talk about where I have them ranked as corners, they might even be next to each other in the rankings. And as overall players, I don't have even half a round between the two of them, I don't think. Uh, Stanford Samuels, if you protect him from a speed perspective and just ask him to kind of press guys – or maybe work him in at the nickel. I just go watch him play. He's a football player, and I think you've seen that over the years with the Packers, that like they get through the draft, right, and everybody has to be a freak to get drafted. But then as soon as that ends, it's full tape mode, like how my boy Darius Shepard ended up on the team. His RAS was abysmal. Same kind of thing with Stanford Samuels. He's not a great athlete, and it cost him – getting drafted because his tape is so much better than that. And as soon as the draft ends, they're like, you know what? We're giving our tape guys a chance. We're giving our eva- the guys that evaluated these kids, no matter what they ran, no matter what happened, we're going to give them a shot. And, uh, man, I think Stanford has really does have an opportunity with a little bit of protection to be a good player. And I know people rail on Ladarius Gunter. I think he has the ability to be a little bit better version of Ladarius Gunter. For Ladarius Gunter to get where he got from where he came from was a tremendous achievement. And I get that having him as at CB1 in an NFC <laughs> championship game was a problem. He got to CB1. He he got to the point as a six foot two corner who couldn't run. He was so gifted, or so technically proficient, so did everything else so well that the Packers said, you know what, you're our best option against Julio Jones with an opportunity to go to the Super Bowl. And and I, I see that kind of skill set from Stanford Samuels, except he's more refined. No, I'm right there with you, and I, I, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up about Ladarius Gunter because – just because he was put in the position to be cornerback one against Julio and Odell and what Dez in that uh, playoff it's run, what's that? It's not his fault. I mean, he didn't. It's it's he didn't build the roster that way. 
No, no, not exactly. You know, exactly, no. But you know, he was he was a, a solid player, and if he could have if he could have survived as cornerback four or five with not having to to play that many snaps, you know, I think he probably would have been in the league a little bit longer. But uh, that's probably a story for another day. But you know, they've had some success with those cornerbacks, even guys like Lindsey Pipkins, who had a, a decent year the the one year before they traded him. Uh, Ladarius Gunter, obviously Sam Shields. So they've had some you know some success in the undrafted cornerback rankings. Actually, Cavianento uh, is a player that I really liked in training camp a season ago. I'm excited to see him come back as well. He was a wide receiver in college his entire uh, time, and they've moved him to corner, and I actually thought he took to it really, really well. So I'm excited what he's going to be able to, to do this year also. But uh, they've had some success there, and, and, and hopefully that can continue this year. Uh, let's end with this, Ross. Uh, I think this is probably just you know the, the, a throwaway, easy question to answer. Does Aaron Rodgers retire as a Green Bay Packer without playing for another team? It's it's not as easy as you think. I think. The, oh, I was kidding completely. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, I. Man, I I feel like the the answer is probably no, just because he has that competitive fire in him, and I don't know how how else they get out of this out of this situation without. Garoppoloing this guy, I think you know that's what would have to happen. Is like they would have to win a title. If they win a title, then you can kind of kick the can down the street a little bit and just say like, "Well, we're going to let Rodgers continue to try and do this late stage Brady thing." Because people forget that Brady didn't win anything for like ten years. There was the stretch where he was kind of the game manager guy, and it was like Willie McGinnis and Troy Brown and whatever, and then. I think that ended in like '04, and then they they became the Super Patriots in '07. Went 16 and 0, but then lost. Didn't win in '08 or '09 or '10. Then '11 comes and they lost, and then they get to '14 and start winning titles again. But there was this gap, right? And and now Rogers, obviously, we are on year 10 of the gap. But if he wins another title, then I think he probably ends up. Retire, maybe retiring with the Packers, but even Brady. I mean, even Brady's gonna play for Tampa. I just Rodgers is like, you know, we just we've all as a as like a country. I feel like we've all watched the Last Dance, and Mike played for the Wizards, man. Brady Brady played for the Bucks. Like, there's gonna come a time when unless he wins the title when he's like 39 and just says, you know what, I'm good. I think there's going to be a point where the Packers say it is in our best interest to play someone else, and Rodgers is still going to have that mentality where, you know what, nope, I'm not done. And I honestly truly believe that he'll be better than, you know, quarterbacks 23 through 32 in the league, so it'll make sense for someone. Yeah, I, I went into this thinking that uh, I was going to say he will retire as a Packer and not play for another team, but I think you just talked me out of it. Um, it's hard. It's difficult. It is. Yeah. Yeah, it really, really is. And who knows? You know, predicting the the future is is foolhardy at best. Uh, it's a fool's errand. But uh, it's fun to talk about. And, you know, you obviously want to see him uh, have that legacy that that Brian Gutekunst has been talking about the the last couple of press conferences, and uh, have him see that through and retire as a Packer and go out on top and elway it and and everything like that. But man, those those perfect scenarios are are few and far between, and uh, only time will tell what ends up happening. But uh, this this weekend certainly put a lot more question marks. 
uh, to that question and, and what kind of happens moving forward. Ross, this was absolutely epic. We got to a ton of stuff today. I'm super pumped uh, to be working with you always on Packer Report. Super pumped to have you on Pack a Day. Glad we were able to do this uh, pa- uh, Packer Report podcast and Pack a Day podcast mashup today. Any final thoughts before we get out of here? Anything else you want to plug? I don't. I don't. Nope. Uh, if, if you think if you get to this real quick, we're still running a 50% off special on a VIP membership over at Packer Report for the draft. Um, but other than that, you know, we've just got great stuff coming out. We're, we're going to be film heavy coming up. I can promise you that. Uh, I'm going to be working on stuff. Owen's going to be working on the offensive linemen. I'm sure Andy's going to be working on stuff. Uh, there's going to be VIP content for any of you that are VIP subscribers or looking to be. Um, there's going to be, you know, real live all 22 breakdown stuff of these draft picks and trying to find out uh, what these guys can do because, not only in scouting, but I think most importantly, once the players have actually been selected, don't tell me what these guys can't do because that's relatively unimportant. Tell me what they can do. How can they win? That's what we're going to be doing all week, I think, at, at Packer Report and, and probably into the off season, which God knows when that's ever going to come to an end. Yeah, <laughs> hopefully it's uh, not too long, but it unfortunately could be a while. Uh, definitely check out all the great content at Packer Reports. Uh, you know, it, this is the time, you know, we just had, you know, uh, the, the draft weekend. This is the time now to kind of jump in and unwrap all these presents. And, you know, all the guys uh, at Packer Report, all of us at Packer Day Podcast, uh, we're all going to be, you know, breaking down the film and, and trying to give you guys as much information as humanly possible so that you guys can know, you know, what to expect out of these players moving forward. Uh, the good, the bad, the ugly, like Ross said, tell them what you can do. Uh, we're going to be going over a lot of that, again, both at Packer Report and on the podcast. So lots of stuff to look forward to. You're going to want to go back and, and check out uh, all of Ross's great work over the weekend. You're going to want to go back and check out all the podcasts over the weekend if you haven't had a chance to yet. The entire team did a great job of you know breaking down pick by pick, round by round. And all this week, we're going to be doing a much deeper dive on every single one of those prospects. So keep it locked to Packer Report. Keep it locked to the Pack-A-Day podcast. You don't want to miss any of this great, great content. Thanks, as always, for following along. We appreciate you so much. Uh, Until next time, we will see you on the Pack-A-Day podcast as well as at Packer Reports. And as always, go Pack Go! Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. 
That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health care provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new health care regimen, including EE system.